You're listening to the English language news of Khan, the Israeli Public Broadcasting Corporation. It's 8 p.m. in Israel, Tuesday, February the 27th, 2024. In the headlines, polling stations and the municipal elections close in two hours' time. Voter turnout has been lower than the previous election as Israelis cast ballots amid the ongoing war. The IDF hits Hezbollah targets in Lebanon after rocket barrages on northern Israel. U.S. President Biden's comments predicting a ceasefire deal by Monday draw tempered responses from Qatar, Israel and Hamas. And U.S. President Biden's remarks about the Israeli government potentially losing support prompts a response from the prime minister that most Americans support Israel. The weather outlook gradually warmer through Friday. Good evening. This is Nomi Segal with the news. With two hours left until polling stations close, Israelis are voting today in municipal elections under the shadow of the ongoing war, which appears to have played a part in the lower voter turnout figures being seen compared to the previous local authority elections in 2018. Voting is not taking place in communities evacuated in the north and south of the country because of the security situation a situation underscored by the ongoing rocket fire on northern Israel this afternoon. We'll have more on the municipal elections, but first to the security developments. In the north, the IDF carried out strikes on Hezbollah targets in Lebanon in response to a rocket barrage earlier today on northern Israel. The army said Israeli fighter aircraft destroyed a Hezbollah military site and military infrastructure in several towns in south Lebanon. In addition, IDF artillery shelled the area of Yerun to remove a threat. The airstrikes in Lebanon were in response to an earlier Hezbollah rocket barrage in the Mount Meron area, where an Israel Air Force regional air control base is located. There were no injuries and no reported damage at the base. The IDF said about 35 rockets were fired toward the area. Siren alerts for rocket attacks and suspected hostile aerial infiltration sounded in western Galilee communities this afternoon. A heavy barrage was fired at the western Galilee with several interceptions as well as rocket landings in open areas. There were no reports of physical injury. One woman was treated for shock. The chair of the Mate Asher Regional Council and chair of the Forum of Confrontation Line Communities, Moshe Davidovich, said in response to the latest salvos on the Western Galilee that the elections in the north are of rocket fire and sirens. Nasrallah puts rockets in the ballot box and the government is busy with everything except protecting the north, he said. UN peacekeepers in Lebanon have urged all parties to cease hostilities to avoid further escalation, warning that recent events could put a political situation to the conflict at risk. The peacekeeping mission, UNIFIL, said it had seen a concerning shift in the exchanges of fire between Israel and Hezbollah and said it was engaging with parties to decrease tensions and prevent dangerous misunderstandings. The U.N. Special Coordinator for Lebanon also urged de-escalation, saying the gradual expansion in the exchange of fire increased the risks of a broader conflagration. Meanwhile, two sources familiar with Hezbollah's thinking told Reuters that the Iran-backed group would halt fire on Israel if Hamas agreed to a proposal for a truce with Israel in Gaza 
unless Israeli forces keep shelling Lebanon. Turning to comments on a hostage release, remarks by the U.S. President Joe Biden last night suggesting a temporary ceasefire and captive release deal could be reached by next Monday, March 4th, were met with surprise and pushback from other involved parties. Qatar, a mediator in the talks, declined to comment on the remarks by the U.S. President. The Qatari Foreign Ministry spokesperson Majid al-Ansari told a news conference that there was no breakthrough to announce a ceasefire and hostage deal, but that Qatar is pushing hard for the agreement sketched out in Paris to be accepted by Israel and Hamas. If there was an agreement, you'd see me here in a more uh, cheer uh, attitude. But uh, but till now, we don't have an agreement, yes, and we are still working on the uh, negotiations uh, you know, on, on all fronts. We are pushing hard for the proposals put forward and the agreement that took place in Paris to, uh, to take uh, place. Obviously, these agreements will be over issues that uh, you'd know just as uh, I would over uh, the numbers, the ratios, the uh, troop movement and, uh, and other uh, issues. I can't disclose the specific discussions that are taking place uh, right now. Uh, the meetings, uh, as I said, wherever they might uh, take place are always around the same parameters of finding a way to start uh, the pause before uh, Ramadan. We have seen uh, a positive trajectory by the sheer fact that the meetings are taking place, but we have yet to uh, to reach a final agreement where we can hopefully announce before uh, the beginning of, uh, of Ramadan a humanitarian pause that would ease the tensions and would um, would, would allow us to bring in more aid into uh, into Gaza and would allow us to de-escalate uh, starting from there. Qatari Foreign Ministry spokesperson Majid al-Ansari. In his comments yesterday, U.S. President Joe Biden said he hopes a ceasefire agreement to pause hostilities and release hostages could be hammered out by Monday. He made the remarks to reporters during a stop at an ice cream shop after filming an appearance for Late Night with Seth Meyers. Can you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start, sir? Well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. U.S. President Joe Biden. In the NBC interview, Biden noted that while Israel has had overwhelming support of the vast majority of nations, he warned that it risks losing support from around the world if it keeps up with what he called this incredibly conservative government. Israel has had the overwhelming support of the vast majority of nations. If it keeps this up, this incredibly conservative government they have, Ben Gavir and others, most I've known every major foreign policy leader in Israel since Golda Meir, they're going to lose support from around the world. And that is not in Israel's interest. The U.S. president's comments aired on the eve of primaries in Michigan, a critical November battleground state where Arab American activists have been pushing for Democrats to pick uncommitted as a way to protest current U.S. policy on the Gaza war. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, in response to the U.S. president's remarks regarding support for Israel, said that since the start of the war, he has led a diplomatic campaign to block pressure intending to bring a premature end to the war and to achieve support of Israel. Netanyahu said that a poll published in the United States shows that four out of five American citizens supports Israel and not Hamas. 
Meanwhile, earlier, an Israeli source told CNN that Jerusalem was surprised by the optimism voiced by Biden regarding chances of concluding a ceasefire deal by Monday, but confirmed Israel hopes a deal would initially involve the release of about 40 hostages, including female Israeli soldiers. An Israeli government spokesperson, Tal Heinrich, asked in an online briefing today about efforts to reach a hostage deal, reiterated the ongoing combination of Israel's military pressure and diplomatic efforts, and noted that there is no daylight between Washington and Jerusalem in what pertains to the goals of the war. First, I'd like to say that there's no daylight between Washington and Jerusalem in what pertains to the goals of this war that we didn't start and didn't want the way we set out, uh, we define these goals, which are we all want to see the hostages, of course, back home reunited with their families. We want to see Hamas eliminated. We want to make sure that Gaza will never pose a terror threat to Israelis again. And while Israel and the IDF are pursuing these uh uh, goals. We want to see uh, the minimal civilian casualty and suffering on the Palestinian side. Uh, regarding uh, hostages n- negotiations, uh, once we'll have something to make official, to announce, we'll make an announcement. That is not the case right now. Uh, we are still pursuing, as I said, diplomatic efforts behind the scenes, as well as uh, uh, hitting Hamas hard on the ground, the military pressure. Uh, we're crushing them above the ground, below the ground, dismantling their command chains, uh, their their battalions, their uh, terror infrastructure, as I just uh, stated, um, because we know that the one thing that works against Hamas is is the combination of military pressure and diplomatic pressure. Um, that's what uh, has led to the uh, framework that we saw back in, in November that saw the release of more than 100 hostages. We certainly hope that we uh, could reach another framework of this kind again. Uh, you know, if it was up to us, we want to see the all hostages released, uh, you know, Four months ago, yesterday, today, um, why wait? But uh, Hamas has presented uh, terms so far that have been delusional, as uh, the Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu referred to them, or U.S. Secretary of State Blinken called them non-starters just a few days or a week and a half ago. Um, we we are willing, we are ready, um, but Hamas says they have to come down to earth. Israeli government spokesperson Tal Heinrich. Meanwhile, a Hamas source said in response to the U.S. president's remarks that they do not align with the situation on the ground. According to the source, there are still wide gaps between the sides and Biden's comments were premature. However, American sources have said that a softening in Hamas's stance is apparent, especially regarding the demand that the IDF withdraw from the Gaza Strip. According to a draft proposal from the Gaza ceasefire hostage release talks in Paris, that was submitted to Hamas, a first stage of the deal could last 40 days and the prisoner hostage exchange would be at an overall ratio of 10 to 1. A senior source close to the talks told Reuters that the proposal calls for both Israel and Hamas to stop their military operations completely. In addition, Israeli aerial reconnaissance operations over Gaza would stop for eight hours a day. All Israeli hostages, including women, children, Under the age of 19, the elderly aged 50 and above and the sick would be released in exchange for a specific number of Palestinian prisoners. Other elements include the gradual return of displaced civilians except men of military service age to the northern Gaza Strip. Israel would reposition forces away from densely populated areas in Gaza. 134 hostages remain in captivity in Gaza, 32 are known to be no longer alive. 
In the Gaza Strip, the IDF continues to attack. Yesterday, the war cabinet discussed for the first time plans for a ground operation in Rafah. Heads of the army presented the prime minister and ministers with the possible courses of action, and soon the issue will be ex- discussed in the expanded cabinet. In Samaria, special forces of the Duvdivan unit killed the senior leader of Islamic Jihad in Tubas in Samaria, Ahmed Daragame. In the past, he carried out shooting attacks and planted explosives against IDF soldiers. Two more armed terrorists were killed in the nearby Farah camp. An IDF soldier was slightly wounded and was taken to hospital for medical treatment. Border police forces today killed a Palestinian who tried to breach the security fence in the and enter the Jerusalem area illegally. He was shot after refusing to heed orders to stop in accordance with suspect arrest protocols. The incident is under investigation. Back to the municipal elections, which are being held today against the backdrop of the Israel-Hamas war. Polls are scheduled to close at 10 p.m. While Election Day is a national holiday, voter turnout has been significantly lower than it was in the previous elections in 2018. By 7 p.m., voter turnout stood at just over 39 percent. 10 percentage points lower than the previous election. The statistics do not include double envelope ballots of soldiers and police officers. President Isaac Herzog casting his vote at the Jerusalem High School for the Arts this morning repeated a call urging people to vote. He also noted that representatives of hostage families would be present at the polling places around the country and he urged voters to empathize with them in an expression of support and solidarity. The Director General of the Interior Ministry also urged the public to go to vote. The elections are being held for mayors or local council heads in 197 municipal authorities and 44 regional councils. In a ballot that was originally scheduled for the end of October, three weeks after the start of the war against the Hamas terror group in the wake of the devastating October 7th Hamas-led attack in the western Negev. Elections in communities that were evacuated near the Gaza Strip and the border with Lebanon because of the security situation have been postponed until November, affecting some 180,000 citizens who live in those communities. Those communities include Kiryat Shmona, Shlomi, and regional councils along the northern border, and Sterot, and regional councils in the south. Two Sterot residents spoke to Reuters. This is very bad, you know, it's not because they don't want to go. Of course, they would like to go, but uh, dangerous. The government uh, would not allow because it's a danger. These bastards live in three, less than three kilometers from here. Palestinians, you so know. As you know, Palestinians, they, they trying to find excuse to, hire, to fire rockets into the road. Maybe it's the smart, smart decision to like postpone the election for later when people will be less scared to go back home. And if you walk around the town, you can still see like places that are broken and like missile hits and stuff like this. So maybe people are scared to come back. Residents of Stirot. Chagit Chen, whose son Itai is captive in Gaza, was at a polling station where her son was due to have voted today. 
She called on Israeli citizens to act to free the hostages, including on election day. Itai is being held by Hamas for 144 days already and is unable to exercise his democratic right. I call on all the people of Israel to be unified today and to choose the captives. Some of the municipal elections being closely watched include Tel Aviv, where longtime mayor 79-year-old Ron Khuldai has been facing a challenge from, among others, Yeshitid, former Knesset member and former IDF Major General Orna Barivai. In Haifa, no less than a dozen candidates are vying for the position of mayor. In Jerusalem, the election there has been focused mainly on the face of the city council, which could win an ultra-Orthodox majority for the first time. Other closely watched races in the Haredi sector include in Bnei Brak, where the current health ministerial Buso of Shas is running a first time and on Ashkenazi ultra-Orthodox candidate is running for mayor in that city. Looking at the statistics among the mayoral candidates, 86 are women and 721 are men. Since the morning hours, police detained 18 suspects and 62 cases were opened for alleged violations of purity of the vote, threats and violence. In Bet Shemesh, police arrested a youth in his 20s who offered money to voters in exchange for casting a ballot for a particular candidate. Several other people were detained for involvement in the allegations. In Bnei Brak, a man was detained for trying to vote with the identity card that was not his. In Svat, searches continue for a nine-year-old girl, Hemenut Kasu, who has been missing for the past two days. Her aunt said that a man had come to the absorption center in the city and asked the girl and others to distribute leaflets for the upcoming municipal elections. A Svat police representative said the police had spoken to the individual and he is not considered a suspect. The High Court of Justice, after hearing petitions yesterday after against military service exemptions for yeshiva students, ordered the government to explain why the court should not annul a June 2023 cabinet resolution that had extended the policy for another nine months despite expiration of the law on the matter. The court also issued an interim order effective immediately prohibiting the granting of exemptions for military service to ultra-Orthodox whose service was deferred following the expiration of the law. The state had argued that with the outbreak of the war, the coalition has been unable to pass new legislation on the yeshiva draft exemptions that would bring it into compliance with the 2017 court ruling that the blanket military service exemptions for ultra-Orthodox yeshiva students are discriminatory and illegal. As the Likudlet coalition has been working to prepare a new conscription bill exempting ultra-Orthodox men from being drafted into the military, a survey has found that a growing and overwhelming majority of Israelis are against of support canceling the exemptions and support drafting yeshiva students just like the rest of Jewish citizens. The poll was conducted by Chidush for Religious Freedom and Equality, a pluralistic organization, and its head, Rabbi Uri Regev, told reporter Ari O'Sullivan that the big change is in the number of people who didn't want any compromise deal with the ultra-Orthodox and are against any exemptions. We have been testing a different aspect of the public opinion, the Jewish public opinion, on all matters of religion and state. And naturally, the issue of uh, drafting yeshiva students uh, is one of them. 
Uh, and the poll that we conducted last week uh, was interesting, uh, particularly interesting, because on the one hand, it uh, maintained the same level of support for exemption of yeshiva students that we measured in previous polls. Okay. Namely, 22% of the adult Jewish population. Only 22%. And that was the uh, the result of the poll that we conducted in the summer and uh, last week as well. But the uh, dramatic change is in the other two options we gave the respondents. One was a draft Yeshiva student just like anybody else. Um, and if they don't want to enlist, uh, stop uh, subsidizing them, uh, stop uh, their payment. Mm-hmm. The other option was uh, maintain a quota, a limited quota of excelling Yeshiva students who would be enjoying an exemption and the rest uh, should be drafted. And the dramatic change is in the internal ratio. The, the overall percentage of those who oppose the, the, the exemption is the same, 78%. Okay. 78%, including the majority of the good voters. But the internal division is, whereas in the summer, only 31% said draft them all, and the others said uh, we uh, support a limited exemption. Now, 48% are saying draft them all. Really? So 50% more than in the summer are saying enough is enough. Yes, but you asked the question, do the security needs, you let it off yes. with the security. So it's kind of a loaded question. You, you sort of already put it into pers- changing the perspective. Maybe that's why you had this big change. Well, that's actually uh, very interesting because, as I said, the overall, uh, 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 you know, division of opinion mm-hmm. uh, is consistent. Uh, we are, we didn't ask the question that way in the summer because there wasn't uh, this situation. But uh, uh, if whether we did ask the question acknowledging the impact of the war or not... Uh, I mean, makes no difference. Everybody is now operating under that, uh, you know, that 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 uh, reality. Uh, so even if we didn't ask the question w- with these particular words in mind, uh, it would have been the same. But frankly, it doesn't make any difference uh, because Hidush actually supports the uh, more, um, you know, the middle right. uh, option. Okay. Uh, we acknowledge the justification of supporting Torah studies, uh, and uh, we would like to see a limited quota. Um, we suggested uh, about uh, 10%, 12%, namely about uh, 1,200 a year. Uh, we we are dealing with a cohort of about twelve thousand every year That's a lot uh, of that reach draft age, uh, draft age. So we suggested about ten percent that would be selected based on objective uh, criteria of excellence, uh, not uh, you know relatives of the machers of the parties or uh, family members of the of the rabbis, but those who truly excel. They not only should be exempted in our view but should also receive a higher subsidy, a higher grant. Uh, But the rest uh, should be drafted 
And our view is they should be uh, given, the, the, the IDF should be given, you know, first dips, uh, first refusal, mm. uh, and they should pick everyone who, uh, in their view, is, uh, is um, uh, qualified uh, to do meaningful military service. And the rest should do uh, civil service, uh, national service. So, Rabbi Regev, I mean, you come up with this poll, and it, it reflects the opinion out in the public, but is the, are the politicians going to care about this? Especially well, with this, this is, current this is coalition. Very interesting, uh, because clearly they didn't care until now. Uh, and and I think it should be stressed, you know, Chidush is, is, not, a, is not a partisan advocacy organization. Uh, we have people uh, who support us uh, from the right, center, and left, uh, and uh, and and therefore I, I should stress that both left, center, and right wing parties have facilitated the mass exemption uh, of yeshiva students all along, uh, from uh, you know from from the uh, beginning of the state, but uh, uh, you know primarily since 1977 when the floodgate. Uh, were opened and the numbers uh, increased, uh, uh, you know, in in a, in a, in, a, in a dramatic way. Uh, so um, until now, they didn't really care, and they were as cynical uh, as the worst, uh, uh, you know, myth uh, that one uh, may uh, uh, entertain mm-hmm. about politicians. Um, but I think it's a different story now. Right. Uh, and and the Likud and Netanyahu too understand they just can't deliver, even if they wanted to, they just can't deliver uh, what they took for granted maybe in previous years. Uh, the the public wrath uh, would be so enormous that the uh, uh, the price, the political price to be paid. Uh, is going to be uh, uh, great. Now, as an Israeli and a rabbi, with your finger on the pulse of uh, of what's happening here, you you had eighty seven percent of the ultra orthodox public support the continuation of the situation, right? Yeah. But I'm wondering, what about the people who this affect? I mean, did you uh, question the young, the the people between the ages of eighteen to twenty five, or anything like that, how they feel about it? Well, I, 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 we did not do that kind of fine tuning. Mm-hmm. Uh, altogether, you have to understand the 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 number of the ultra orthodox in the uh, in the sample uh, is limited, right. and even though uh, you know this is a, a, a this particular one is a normal normal sample. No, I'm wondering uh, just about the people who are going to be in, uh, impacted directly yes, about this but whole what, thing. But what what I'm saying is that if you if you trim it down mm-hmm. to those ages within the ultra orthodox participants in the sample, you wouldn't have a good enough sample uh-huh. uh, of those of this subgroup uh, to be able to draw conclusions. Now, I mean, I'm right. curious myself how someone like that who's oh. in yeshiva and watching everybody go to fight and is not participating, how they feel. So, so I'm probably the wrong person <laughs> to interview on that. Other than uh, I regularly read the ultra-Orthodox media. Uh, and and I have to tell you, uh, we we you know they they some of their spokespeople uh, emphasize the uh, that they fear that the uh, individuals who may go into the army are going to be uh, uh, you know um, turned into secularists and and, and that's the fear. 
that is not uh, the whole truth. It's not even a, you know, it's not even the majority of the truth. There is a deep-seated theological rejection of uh, enlisting uh, Haredi men uh, uh, to the army, of course. You know, Haredi women is a different story altogether. No women, in their view, should be serving in the in the army. The chief rabbinate opposes military service for women, uh, but uh, but with regard to the theology, theology behind it, it has to do with the understanding that the October seventh war, as was the COVID pandemic, as was the Holocaust are all God's doing. Mm. And if it's God's doing, and, you know, there, there is some divergence of opinion as to why exactly, and why now, but if it's all God's doing, then the remedy is not the army. The remedy, in their view, is prayer and study. And it's only prayer and study that's going to be uh, uh, providing defense uh, for the country, and sustaining the world, etc., etc. So, in their view, they really are. It, it, you know, Kari, if you remember, Minister of Communications, uh, Dr. Kari, yes, uh, who recently said uh, those that study Torah are more uh, uh, important for the defense of the country than those who serve in the army. Uh, that, that multiply that manifold, and you'll have the core theological position of the ultra-Orthodox. It's them, the, 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 the yeshiva students, uh, who uh, protect the country and not the soldiers. It's not lobechai, lobechai, lobechoach. You know, it's not, not by might, nor by power. Rabbi Uri Regev, head of Chidush for Religious Freedom and Equality. More news coming up, but first, Amir Dadon. Livron בת חטוף אל עצמי ודי, רק לא להסתכל. מה שבפנים כבר בפנים מדי, קוראים לזה הרגל. מתי אלמד לבחור נכון, להאמין, לראות שטוב, בלי להביט שוב לאחור. Let me 
בסוף הכל מתחבא עליי, עניין של חלומות, מתעורר בדיוק בזמן, אולי אוכל לזכור. אומרים יש מי ששומר עליי, תן לי את הכוחות, עוד לא מצאתי תשובה אבל, קוראים לזה לחיות. look at the headlines this evening polling stations and municipal elections will close at 10 p.m voter turnout has been lower than the previous election in 2018 as israelis are casting ballots amid the ongoing war the idf hits hezbollah targets in lebanon after rocket barrages on northern israel U.S. President Biden's comments predicting a ceasefire deal by Monday draw a tempered response from Qatar, Israel and Hamas. Prime Minister Netanyahu also pushes back after Biden says Israel will lose global support over its incredibly conservative government. And searches continue for a nine-year-old girl missing for two days in Sfat. The weather outlook gradually warmer through Friday. As we heard, the primary in the U.S. state of Michigan is being viewed as a biggest indicator yet for how concerned U.S. President Joe Biden should be of sizable discontent among his base over policies regarding the Israel-Hamas war in Gaza. Over the past several weeks, a campaign urging voters to select uncommitted on their primary ballots has gathered momentum aiming to both voice real-time displeasure and send a stark message about the potential consequences of an unchanged approach come the November election. Michigan is home to over 300,000 Arab American and Muslim voters, the majority of whom backed Biden in 2020 and had the highest nationwide turnout of young voters aged 18 to 29 in the 2022 midterm elections. Adam Abu Salah, a 23-year-old Palestinian-American Democrat, told Reuters he used to canvass in Dearborn, Michigan for Biden. But that has changed in light of his criticism of the U.S. president's policy on the war in Gaza. So in 2020, I worked on the Biden campaign, and there was a lot of people in the Muslim community, in the Arab community, who came out and voted for Biden. 75% of Muslims in Michigan voted for Biden, uh, which put him over the top, really. And, uh, you know, when we look at it, we, we helped this guy get over the, the finish line, and we supported him, we donated to him, we knocked on doors for him. And right now, as our family is being bombed, you can't even say that they deserve to live in peace and dignity. But rather than that, he's, he's sending more bombs, he's sending more, uh, you know, uh, more weapons to, to bomb Palestinian children and women and, and innocent men. Um, so we're, we're disgusted. We're very hurt by what he's doing. Activist Adam Abu Salah. 
U.S. President Biden is meeting today with the top four leaders of Congress to press them to act quickly to avoid a looming government shutdown early next month and to pass emergency aid for Ukraine and Israel. In opening remarks, Biden said the Israeli component of the spending includes humanitarian assistance to Palestinians. He also noted that Israel's air defenses have to be replenished to make sure Israel will not deal alone with threats in the Middle East, not just from Hamas, but also from Iran. Look, uh, I want to thank the leadership here today. we got a lot of work to do. we got to figure out how we're going to keep uh, funding the government, which is an important problem, an important solution we need to find, and I think we can do that. And uh, in Ukraine, I think the need is urgent. I hope we get to speak to that a little bit. And uh, I think the consequences of inaction every day in Ukraine are dire. I've been speaking to some of our our G7 partners, and you just got back, Chuck. Uh, they're very concerned. And, uh, and also, we need to uh, we we need to, in terms of supplemental, we need to deal with the Israeli portion. But that also contains a significant portion having to do with humanitarian assistance into the Palestinian areas, which I think is important. And uh, we have to replenish the air defenses for Israel, and we have to work on making sure they don't face the threat from, uh, they can face the threat from the, uh, from what's going on in the Middle East, not just from uh, Hamas, but from Iran. U.S. President Joe Biden There's disagreement between Israel and the United States on the Palestinian issue and movement towards a Palestinian state. In view of broader regional implications, it is in Washington's interest for Israel to win the war against Hamas in the Gaza Strip, according to Reserve Brigadier General Yossi Cooperwasser, a former director general of the Strategic Affairs Ministry and former head of research in the IDF Military Intelligence Directorate. Cooper Wasser, who is currently a senior project manager at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, made the remarks in a recent briefing hosted by the Jerusalem Press Club. Well, we have disagreements with the uh, American administration on the Palestinian issue. This is nothing new, and uh, it has been more uh, uh, visible in, in the last couple of uh, weeks. Uh, we don't agree with the idea of uh, promising the Palestinians a Palestinian state at this point. Because we are afraid that the Palestinian state is going to be <coughs> a very dangerous uh, place for uh, for Israel because it's going to fall in the hands of the Hamas within no time at all. Uh, the Palestinian Authority, as it is today, is so weak and so corrupt uh, that it's not going to be able to withstand the Hamas challenge. Uh, we have already tried that, and uh, we saw what happened in 2007. So uh, what is the point in uh, uh, trying this uh, uh, this uh, Idea again. It's, it's, a, it's a wrong. Uh, it's a wrong thing from our point of view. Secondly, we have disagreements with the Americans about uh, the Palestinian Authority itself. We uh, we think that uh, revitalizing, revamping, and uh, reforming the Palestinian Authority is not about uh, turning the government into a technocratic government instead of uh, politicians. This is uh, this is not enough. What has to change is the narrative. We have to uh, make sure that the Palestinian Authority. Uh, condemns the 7th of October attacks. We have to make sure that the Palestinian Authority stops paying salaries to terrorists. There is an American law that demands the Palestinian Authority to do that and the American administration doesn't follow its own law on that. And uh, it's really strange. 
these Palestinian, these Palestinian authorities paying salaries to the terrorists that carried out the 7th of October massacre. They are ready to pay them salaries. So uh, what are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about the Palestinian authority that incites and uh, promotes hate indoctrination uh, through its textbooks and uh, everything else that, uh, that they are doing. We are talking about a Palestinian authority that uh, doesn't fight against terror. We are talking about a Palestinian authority that looks at Hamas as a legitimate partner in the political scene uh, of the Palestinian uh, people. <laughs> How can we allow this kind of Palestinian authority rule Gaza? They legitimize Hamas. And uh, we are talking about a Palestinian authority that still refuses to accept Israel as a, as a state of the Jewish people. So these are all things that have to change for uh, for us to accept the Palestinian authority. And since nobody believes that this is going to change uh, any time soon, uh, so uh, we we have different uh, different ideas about the future uh, compared with the with the Americans. Same also about the uh, Israeli presence in the, of uh, civilians in the, civilian uh, communities in the, in the Judea and Samaria areas. Uh, we think that uh, Israel has the right and the need to have these uh, uh, communities there. The, uh, the American administration doesn't think that this is a good idea and uh, questions the leg- legitimacy and uh, contribution to peace of these uh, places. I think that uh, they are necessary because any peace that, and I'm glad we agree, any peace should be such that guarantee Israel's security. And uh, I think that uh, Israeli presence in uh, in Judea and Samaria is uh, contributing to Israel's security and not uh, working against this Israeli security, because otherwise we are going to end up with the uh, West Bank uh, being same as Hamas ruled Gaza until uh, October 7th, and we are going to have in the end more October 7th, because we have to understand the Palestinian narrative promoted by the Palestinian Authority and by Hamas simultaneously is about an ongoing struggle against Israel until its demise. That's the that's the narrative of the Palestinians. And until that uh, changes, we have to be able to protect ourselves by ourselves against these threats. And that was uh, our mistake in uh, disengaging from Gaza. We allowed them to have a state of their own, even though it was not called a state, it was a quasi-state. And we saw exactly what happened. Instead of uh, taking care of their own people, they took care of uh, building the capabilities to hit 48 territories. This, there was no occupation in Gaza until uh, 6th of October uh, 2023. And, uh, and yet, the, uh, the only thing that Hamas cared about was not improving the living conditions of uh, the people of Gaza, but uh, carrying out terror attacks against 40, 1948, the territories of Israel in uh, Be'eri, in near Oz, and so on and so forth. So uh, we have to remember that, and uh, that's why we need to uh, make sure that something like that cannot happen from the areas controlled by the Palestinians in uh, the West Bank. One journalist is asking specifically about Israel's capabilities to fight, uh, given the absence of the, the American um Support towards the uh, at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of the war, if we recall, sending uh, anti-aircraft carriers to the Mediterranean. Uh, so, so maybe it's an inference towards the future. Do you think that Israel would be able to uh, to conduct itself in the same way, uh, given the absence of such uh, immediate military s- support on behalf of the Americans? Well, the fact that we have disagreements with the with the Americans on the uh, Palestinian issue 
And the fact that we are a little bit uh, concerned that uh, on, and, uh, an ease, uh, feel some sort of an ease with the American uh, attempt to force upon us a Palestinian state by promising us uh, the uh, normalization of relations with Saudi Arabia, uh, that uh, this is not of the same level for Israel, and uh, the Americans should understand it, uh, doesn't mean that we do not, uh, first of all, are very thankful for any support we get from the Americans, and we got from the Americans a lot of support during this war, and we keep getting the support, and this is uh, highly appreciated. And uh, secondly, it doesn't mean that we do not uh, consider the war we are at as not just an Israeli-Palestinian war in Gaza. Yes, the, the main battlefield is there, but the wider picture is, is much bigger than that. There is a war between the Iranian-led axis and the uh, American-led axis. And uh, so this is a confrontation, a conflict that America, United States, are, is deeply involved in. It's, uh, and it's in their interest, of the, in the interest of the Americans, to make sure that the axis led by them wins the war. And uh, we have to understand, it's not only Hezbollah and the, the Houthis and the uh, militias in Iraq and the militias in Syria and the Iranians in Syria and uh, all the all the proxies of uh, Iran that are involved in that. Definitely, on the surface, these are those who fight the war. But underneath the surface, what's happening is even much bigger than that. Because Iran takes advantage of the of this time in order to uh, accumulate more and more highly, very high, highly enriched uranium, 60% enriched uranium. Uh, the director of uh, the atomic, uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency, Grossi, uh, has uh, spoken about that uh, several times recently. And uh, there was a big uh, threat hovering over our, us all that the Iranians might take advantage of the situation in order to break uh, out towards a nuclear weapon. And uh, they are shortening the time needed for them to move from where they are today uh, towards a nuclear weapon in a very disturbing uh, pace. The, that's uh, something that the Americans and Israelis and uh, pragmatic Arabs should be worried about very much. And uh, people almost not do not speak about it, but it's... Uh, it's happening uh, as we uh, as we have uh, as we have this conversation. That's uh, that's a major reason to be concerned with, and all of that means that uh, the United States has to be uh, very deeply involved in, because of its own interests, not because of the interests of Israel, but because of its own interest in making sure that uh, those threats do not materialize and the, that the Iranian axis doesn't have the upper hand, and we don't uh, end, uh, finish this war with a nuclear Iran. And uh, these are uh, major challenges the, for us and for the Americans simultaneously. We are at it together. And uh, because of that, I think it's a, it's a major interest of the United States that Israel wins the war in Gaza. They start moving the pendulum, as I said, in, in, to the other direction. And together with the United States, uh, form a better uh, cooperation with the pragmatic Arabs uh, that is going to be able to push uh, the, the Iranian threat backwards on all fronts, and not only on, in Gaza. And I think this is a highly important. So, so in this vein, and specifically in the context of the Abraham Accords, and I think we'll finish with this question, do you believe that, uh, that Israel and the signatory countries, as well as perhaps potential new signatory countries, can continue where they left off before the war, or perhaps this is happening behind the scenes anyway as we speak? Well, first of all, I believe it's happening behind the scenes uh, as we speak. 
because it's in the interest of all these uh, pragmatic countries and uh, of the UAE, of Bahrain, and, uh, and in my mind also of Saudi Arabia and then Egypt and Jordan. Now, all of, each one of them has its own uh, peculiar uh, interest, that, uh, particular interest that uh, uh, may have an impact on the way they perform uh, openly. But uh, behind the scenes, they all worry about Iran. They all worry about the Muslim Brotherhood. And Hamas represents both Iran and the Muslim Brotherhood. So uh, while they are trying to tell us, don't uh, finish the job in, in Gaza, actually what they want us to do is to finish the job in Gaza. And, uh, that's uh, that's uh, the, the reality. Uh, they, are, they cannot say it. I understand, although I don't justify it, but I, I can understand why they are not in a position to say what they really think. And, uh, but we understand it, and we are doing what we need to do. And we, are, we hope to see those countries in the future, in the day after, uh, having a role in Gaza. That's, I think the Prime Minister uh, alluded to that in his, uh, in his plan for the day after. He said that uh, he believes that uh, these countries can, get to, uh, can have a role in education and, and in uh, rehabilitation of Gaza in the future. And uh, that is the way that uh, we are going to strengthen the Abraham Accords and widen them, I hope so, uh, based on what's going to happen. If we don't finish the job properly, then this may have a uh, negative impact on the, on the Abraham Accords countries. Uh, if they don't get the impression that Israel is decisive enough, is powerful and capable enough uh, to do what needs to be done, then they might say, so who's the strong horse here? Uh, maybe the strong horse is Iran, uh, and uh, then they will move in, in other directions. We have to prove that we are the, st- the strong horse, so does the United States. It has to prove that it is the strong horse that uh, they would all prefer to lean on uh, in the future, and that we can provide security and stability for the Middle East, not immediately, but we are in the, in the process of uh, improving security and stability in the Middle East. This is going to be something that the pragmatists are going to like very much. Reserve Brigadier General Yossi Cooper-Wasser. Egyptian Foreign Minister Samech Shukri has warned against an Israeli military operation in Rafah. He was speaking to the UN Human Rights Council. Shukri said that Rafah is a final haven for more than 1.4 million displaced Palestinians. We warn against any military operation in these conditions, he said stressing that such an operation could have destructive consequences that threaten the foundations of peace in the region. The UN Security Council is scheduled to convene for a deliberation on the Middle East, including the situation in Gaza. Meanwhile, at the United Nations in New York, Israel's ambassador to the UN, Gilad Erdan, blasted the organization for its paralysis and lashed out at Russia for hosting Hamas. Today, the Security Council cannot fulfill its basic mandate to defend sovereign states from invasion or even condemn violence. The audacity of those who invade others and attack civilians to baselessly lecture the law-abiding democracy of Israel on international law is the perfect example of how destructive this institution has become. Listen to this. This week, Russia will be hosting a Hamas delegation in Moscow, and not for the first time. Russia is one of the only places outside of the Middle East where Hamas terrorists and Houthi, Houthi jihadists, are given the red carpet treatment, 
even after October 7th. Russia is hosting those who are responsible for intentionally murdering babies, raping women, and burning families alive. Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, Gilad Erdan, he was speaking at debate marking two years since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The genocide complaint against Israel at the International Court of Justice at The Hague, a document submitted by the Attorney General to the International Court of Justice, did not specifically answer the court's question whether criminal proceedings will be taken against public and private individuals accused of inciting to genocide in Gaza. A con reporter says the response to the court says the matter is being reviewed at this time in line with criminal law in Israel. Following the hearing last month of the complaint filed by South Africa against Israel over the Gaza war, the court instructed Israel to submit in writing a response to steps it is taking to prevent claims of genocide and incitement to genocide of Palestinians in Gaza. Israel rejects the accusations. At the recommendation of the Shin Bet, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant has extended by three months the administrative detention of Itar resident Ariel Danino, who has been in detention for four months and was due to be released tomorrow. According to security sources, during his detention, additional information was gathered on Danino, indicating the risk he poses. The sources said that he has standing of a central and dominant extremist activist in Judea and Samaria, leading violent activities that endanger security and safety of those in the sector, Palestinians, residents, and security forces. Turning to news abroad, very briefly, in New York, the 93-year-old widow of a Wall Street financier has donated $1 billion to a Bronx medical school, the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, with instructions that the gift be used to cover tuition for all students going forward. The donor, Dr. Ruth Gottsman, is a former professor at Einstein. It is one of the largest charitable donations to an educational institution in the United States and most likely the largest to a medical school. Here's her announcement and the reaction of students. I'm happy to share with you that starting in August this year, the Albert Einstein College of Medicine will be tuition free. <laughs> Reaction to the announcement. Before the weather and return headlines, here's Jane Bordeaux, Magaline Circles.
Through Friday, gradually warmer with strong easterly winds. Saturday will be hot for the time of year and hazy. Cooler and more humid air entering the region toward the afternoon. Chance of light local rain in the north and center gaining strength overnight. The temperatures forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Jerusalem 11 to 16. Tel Aviv 12 to 21. Haifa 14 to 19. Sfat 10 to 13. Tiberias 11 to 21. Beersheba 10 to 21. And in Eilat from 16 degrees tonight going up to 26 degrees Celsius tomorrow. Taking another look at the news headlines, polling stations in the municipal elections will close in about an hour's time at 10 p.m. Voter turnout has been lower than the previous elections as Israelis cast ballots amid the ongoing war. By 77 p.m., 41 percent of eligible voters had cast ballots, 9 percent lower than the previous election in 2018. The IDF hits Hezbollah targets in Lebanon after rocket barrages on northern Israel. U.S. President Biden's comments predicting a ceasefire deal by Monday draw a tempered response from Qatar, Israel and Hamas. Prime Minister Netanyahu pushes back on President Biden's remarks that Israel will lose global support if its over-incredibly conservative government continues. Searches are ongoing for a nine-year-old girl missing in Sfat. The weather outlook gradually warmer through Friday. That's the news. Join us tomorrow night at 8 p.m. on Khan Reka, the foreign languages channel of the Israeli Public Broadcasting Corporation. Watch our 2 p.m. news flash on the Khan English Facebook page. Find us on Spotify, Twitter, or write to us at khanenglish at khan.org.il. Together with sound engineer Nadav Niv, this is Nomi Segal wishing you good evening and shalom from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.